Welcome to the Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, and this is episode number four. This week, I'm sitting down with Jason Gaynard of Mastermind Talks. Jason accomplished something pretty remarkable. He sold nearly half a million dollars of tickets to an event when nobody had actually heard of who he was. So how did he do it? In this week's episode, we discuss selling people on a vision, using influencer blast to attract maximum attention, the power of personalized videos, and more. I'm really excited, so let's get started. How's it going, Jason? Good, brother. How are you? I'm doing very well. So if you don't know, Jason is the founder of Mastermind Talks. You want to uh, tell us a little bit about what Mastermind Talks is? Sure. Well, Mastermind Talks is an annual invite-only event for entrepreneurs. Uh, we cap the event at 125 people. The first event we did, well, the first two events we did were in Toronto. The next one is actually going to be in San Francisco uh, in April with Tim Ferriss. And yeah, I had no experience in the event space whatsoever. But as I tell a lot of people, ignorance and confidence can go a long way when you're an entrepreneur. So I learned a lot of things uh, along the way and, and did a lot of unconventional things that ended up paying off, including including marketing and a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, willing to jump into to any any aspect of the business you want. So I guess what is really impressive about what you've done is you've built this, number one, very expensive event, and number two, been able to book all of the people without any advertising, essentially. And uh, before we started this uh, conversation, you told me a little bit about a lot of the strategies that you use, and they're all over the place. So how about we um, start off with how you got the first event off the ground? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the the biggest things is I went into this with no clout. I had no, uh, you know, following of my own. I didn't have a personal brand or anything like that. So I just want to kind of throw that out there. But I mean, I first started first. The, the first thing that happened was I made a video, and when I made this video, you know, I. I could have made it fancy and I could have had cutting edge marketing copy and stuff like that. But what always resonates with me is uh, Simon Sinek's quote that people buy, uh, don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So I simply made a video as to why I was doing this event and why I thought it would be a value. And it was just really, I was selling people on the vision because I didn't know exactly how, how it would work out. So that was it. I mean, the, the, the landing page and stuff like that was really basic looking back on it. Like I'm surprised we, we were able to get people to convert. But we positioned the event as an invite only event and that people had to apply. And uh, thankfully, we had some big name speakers, like we had Tim Ferriss there, Ryan Holiday, Mark Echo, AJ Jacobs. So quite a few like big name TED speakers and, and a few people in the tech scene and people who are well respected. So we were able to leverage their celebrity quite a bit in their, in their, uh, their network. So what we did do... Uh, as far as marketing for the first event was we did we did use some Facebook ads. We we only spent a few thousand dollars on Facebook ads, and, but we did Facebook ads and Google retargeting, which helped actually get us a lot of applications. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't the applications we wanted. I didn't I wasn't aware initially that uh, Tim Ferriss's audience, for the most part, are aspiring entrepreneurs. And those are the most of the people that we got applying for the event. So we had to you know, switch up our marketing and, and, and try different things. And one thing I shared with you before the recording was we we did the thing with Sully Breaks, which was great from an awareness perspective, uh, got us a lot of views and got us uh, really kind of helped get us out there. And that cost us virtually nothing to do. So there, there was that. And we also did a, an influencer blast, which really moved the needle for us in that in the first few weeks, I guess, of, of announcing the event. Awesome. All right. So let's step back for a second and uh, tear this down because uh, you have a number of pieces that you just mentioned there. So the first thing that I'm interested in is you mentioned the landing page and you mentioned how you had this video and you also said that you had a number of top-notch speakers. But were those speakers already there when you set up the landing page? 
so they the speakers were trickling in. The first speaker I had was Tim. So I had him and I had probably Ryan Holiday and, and three, four other speakers. We ended up having 20 speakers in the end, but uh, we only had probably three, four speakers uh, at the beginning. And uh, one thing we also had, like, well, I actually held phone calls with everybody. So everybody who purchases the ticket, I hold a phone call with them to assess if they're the right fit or not. And if they're not the right fit, we'll actually refund their money. And during those phone calls, I asked them, like, what's the three most enticing aspects of a landing page that made you want to sign up? And one was, the number one thing actually was the video I made. Again, it wasn't fancy whatsoever. It was me on a webcam, surprisingly. And uh, so there, there was that. And I was just very open and honest and vulnerable about my own kind of story and very transparent, which really resonated with people. The second thing was the speakers. That obviously helped quite a bit uh, with the credibility of the event. And the third thing, we actually created this this chart, which was it helped people kind of qualify themselves if they were the right fit for the event or not. And it was this chart that said like the average person's mindset and like a mastermind mindset because our brand is called Mastermind so we try to label our attendees as masterminds to a degree. So the average, you know, mindset was they, you know, they watch a lot of TV. A mastermind mindset is they surround themselves with brilliant people. And we just had this this chart and people actually really enjoyed it. And even if they didn't identify like this is, you know, this is who I am, they aspired to be that person. And that was one of the core things that helped people actually kind of sign up for the event uh, was that that simple basic chart. And again, like when you look at the landing page, I'll, I'll definitely share it with you afterwards. It was very, very basic. There was no cutting edge marketing copy or anything like that. It was uh, it broke a lot of the rules as far as what best practices are when it comes to landing pages. <laughs> nice. Well, you got to start somewhere. And I think every landing page may not start. Well, every landing page starts not being perfect. Before we uh, jump forward anymore. I actually just want to hit on one point, which is I'm sure a lot of people who are listening may be like, oh, he got Tim Ferriss. And I know this story and I heard it, I think it was on Mixergy or somewhere else uh, where you discuss how you'd bought Tim's books. Do you want to just real quickly summarize, you know, how you ended up getting Tim to speak at your event? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I've known Tim for probably three, four years because I actually went to, to an event that he put on himself a few years ago. But I didn't I definitely didn't have a strong enough relationship to be like, hey, do you want to come speak at my event type thing? But what happened was Tim is probably one of the, the best book marketers I know. And with his last book, which is Four Hour Chef, like two weeks before the event, uh, two weeks before his book came out, it actually got banned from our, all the Barnes and Nobles. Uh, so 1100 bookstores. And when you're a best selling author, you know, your first book's a best selling book. The second book is a you know, New York Times bestselling book as well. The, the expectation is that your third book will be a bestselling book as well. So what he did to kind of counteract that was he created these these book bundles. And if you bought 10 books, you'd get this. Or you bought 25 books, you'd get this webinar and the books, obviously. If you bought 100 books, you'd get that. Uh, if you he, And he had this Hail Mary package that if you bought 4,000 books, you get two speaking engagements. And he was only offering one package because he doesn't actually speak that much. He doesn't need to financially. He's an early investor in Uber and, and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's well off uh, in that sense. But he kind of just threw this Hail Mary package and see and wanted to see if anybody would take it. And originally when I saw the package, I actually thought of a friend of mine who puts on events and I sent it to him because I'm like, this is a great opportunity. But as soon as I click send on the email, I'm like, you know, this is a great opportunity for anybody because Tim doesn't speak that often and he's never really spoken in Canada. So I ended up emailing him directly and pulled the trigger on the 4,000 books, which was $84,000. And at the time, I didn't know what his speaking fee was. So I didn't even know, you know, $84,000 divided by two speaking engagements, that's $42,000 of speaking engagement. I didn't even know what his normal speaking fee is. I don't even know if it was like 30 grand and I was paying over that. But and I, I've since, you know, talked to him several times and I know a lot of people in the event space and his speaking fees between seventy five dollars and $100,000 per talk. So it turned out to be a great investment. I didn't know how, <laughs> how it would be at the beginning. So that's how I actually secured Tim. And there's actually 
that's kind of like the behind the scenes, behind the curtain method to getting a lot of big name speakers is when they, they do a book launch as you can often get them at a pretty nice discount if you uh, buy a bulk order of books. And just one other thing to note there before we keep progressing with how you uh, grew Mastermind Talks is one thing, I believe this is what you did, but didn't you buy these books like with a credit card or something? Well, I actually, I had to borrow the money. I was actually in severe debt uh, from my last business at that time. So I borrowed the money for, for, for that and I just, I sent him a wire. That's crazy. So you just asked a friend or someone to lend you $84,000? Yeah, it was basically my, my last business. I was in the e-commerce space, was very successful, grew a business to about $6 million a year over four years with no outside investments. However, I was living the whole four-hour work week. I was traveling the world, making a ton of money. That's the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Once you start you know, making a lot of money and all your basic needs are set, you start having those questions like, why am I here? Will I be remembered? All that kind of jazz. And I was not happy with the answers I was giving myself. So consciously at that point, I decided to sell the business. Subconsciously, I started to scale it downward. And two things happened that were beyond my control. Unfortunately, while I was scaling down, that landed me a quarter million dollars in cash debt, which was August of 2012. And around that time, yeah, I had no money. I had no business ideas. I had no cash flow. I had no clue what was going to happen next. Uh, and then I had this opportunity to, to to get into the event space. And I had to basically raise the money in like 24 hours. And that was the first time I ever had to raise money in anything I have, I've ever done. All the other ventures I've built, you know, on, on credit cards and stuff like that. So I reached out to three friends and and thankfully two of them stepped up right away and said, yeah, well, we'll front you the money. And I had no business idea. I didn't know how I would leverage it. So on paper, it was an extremely risky investment. But, you know, thankfully they, they pulled through for me and because of that, I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm riding with Mastermind Talks, which has been very, very successful. Wow. Okay. So, and by the uh, 24 hours, what you're referring to is simply that you only had the opportunity to buy the 4,000 books for that period of time? Yeah. Well, it was about, yeah, 24 to 48 hours because Tim, like he basically posted this post on his blog about five days before the order had to go through. So I had to raise the money right away. Then there had to be a day or two for the wire to go through and that kind of stuff. So it was all very, very last minute. What, did you end up reselling the books or no? No. So I, I didn't. And that was an option, but I didn't want to undercut Tim because, I mean, we do have a friendship and stuff like that. So I actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I have I have like 3,500 books in Denver, Colorado that I have no clue what to do with. So I haven't found any unique, interesting ways to to offload them yet. But the books for me were just a bonus. I mean, for, it was basically what I was looking at was when I saw the opportunity, I'm like, it's $84,000. It's safe to say that in in two major metropolitan cities, I can find 42 entrepreneurs who will spend $1,000 to spend an hour with Tim. So I'm like, I'm really investing this for the two speaking engagements and the books were just really a bonus to that. All right. Awesome. So we understand how you got Tim Ferriss and we also learned about your initial landing page, which had basically a video that people could connect with uh, because you were uh, vulnerable, I guess. So you had the landing page. How did word spread? You said you spent thousands of dollars initially for the first event, and since then it's become organic, but you also said that you had a lot of the wrong people. So how did you end up with a lot of the right people coming to your site? So we actually, several things, but we the thing that really moved the needle for us was an influencer blast. And how I got that idea, oddly enough, was through... Uh, a friend of mine named Clay A. Bear, who um, helps people strategize uh, their Kickstarter campaigns. So he's probably, he's been behind 50 plus 
Kickstarter, successful Kickstarter campaigns uh, thus far. And Mike Del Ponte, who's uh, the founder of Soma, Tim was actually an investor in Soma, and he did a blog post on Tim's site called How to Raise $100,000 on Kickstarter. And in that blog post, it's a really comprehensive blog post, great marketing tips in there. But basically, they break down how they raised $100,000 in a few days on Kickstarter. And one of the principles they used was this thing called an influencer blast, where basically they created a landing page and they made it really easy for people to share on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn about this campaign. And what he did was he reached out to people in his network. In his case, he used like a mailing list and just reached out to a thousand people or who, how many people he had in his mailing list. And he's like, you know, if you want to support us, simply, you know, click the share button on Facebook or Twitter, where the case may be and share it with your network. So we took that, that principle and I went a little more personal. I was very hyper targeted. And I said, these are the 50 influencers I want to, you know, blast out about this event, whether they be like speakers at the event or people who are attending the event or those kind of things. And I reached out to them and did a very similar kind of landing page. I made a video for them individually. And I said, Hey, I'd love for you. Uh, if this resonates with your audience and you want to support us, you know, tweet about this or Facebook about this, whatever the case may be. So I reached out to 50 people. I know as a fact, 46, 47 of them uh, ended up doing it. And just from that one campaign, we had 6,000 hits to our landing page, a specific landing page just for that campaign. And we had 700, about 780 people apply for the event. But the quality of those people was much different than what we got from doing Facebook ads because they were pre-qualified in essence because they came in through, you know, somebody's social network who was already involved with the event. So quality over quantity. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially in the event that we're in where we're only trying to fill it with 125 entrepreneurs. It's yeah, we're definitely it's definitely about quality over quantity. But you said briefly that you put a custom video for each person. What did those videos say? It was basically just a, a video. I use videos a lot, and that's something I'm, I'm really known for. After our last event, you know, two weeks ago, I did an individual video for every single attendee, and I emailed it to them. And it just has it has a nice effect. I mean, it's, it, it, one of my favorite quotes when it comes to marketing from 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing is what works in the military works in marketing, and that's the unexpected. And people don't expect to get a personal video by email. So when you do something like that, it really stands out. So when I was asking for somebody to, you know, leverage their own kind of social currency with people and post something on Facebook or post something on Twitter, if I just sent them a, an email and hey, say, hey, can you share this? Probably wouldn't have got a great response. But the fact that I actually came from a genuine place and I took the time to record them a personal message individually, um, that's probably why I got such a great response. That's incredible. In terms of the videos, how do you end up sending those videos? Are you just sharing it on YouTube? I'm assuming not. No, because yeah, I, I YouTube. I mean, YouTube is the fastest way to do it because you can you know go right from webcam to YouTube and then get the link and, and share the link. But when they you send somebody to YouTube, it's not that personal, and then it just gets lost in the sea of videos. So what I use, I use a platform called Vidyard, which originally my one of my friends founded the company, and uh, they're doing really really well. But they've pivoted and they're more kind of for enterprise now, and they do video hosting. So their plans that they offer are really really expensive. But I've been kind of grandfathered in. I was one of their first customers, so I'm at like 50 bucks a month. But there's other services like Wistia you could use. There's a, a company called CoVideo, which recently kind of reached out to me because they heard that I do a lot of these these videos, and a lot of people have started to do them because I do them. And uh, they offer a kind of video email service. I got to dig into them. A little more, but I use Vidyard right now. But there's other options out there. But I, yeah, I definitely don't use uh, YouTube. And if you do use YouTube, make sure it's a private video. Yeah, I do know there actually is a mobile app that enables you to send videos to other people as a as a message. I just don't remember what it is off 
off the top of my head. It could be the co-video that you mentioned. One thing I use a lot as well is SoundCloud for audio recordings. I mean, I probably half of my emails, I do audio recordings instead because I can do emails much faster and it's much more personal. It's kind of like, you know, communication when you break it down, 7% of communication is a written word. The rest is, you know, tonality and, and if it's visual, it's it's posture and, and, you know, gestures and that kind of stuff. So just to get the full effect, I use video, but oftentimes I use SoundCloud just for audio uh, and just do audio recordings and email the link to people. Um, and that's, yeah, that gets an incredible response as well. Again, it's a way to kind of stand above the clutter. And that's what marketing is about in essence. One thing that you also mentioned, so I just want to walk through it real, real quickly. This was all around your first event. So you did the influencer blast. You did a custom video for each person. This is all because the initial advertising wasn't successful. It was getting you the wrong type of people. Yeah, 100%. Were there any other things that you did around that first event or were those leads that were generated through that influencer blast sufficient for selling out your event? It was. I mean, that 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 influencer blast we did was really got us the right people. And we had I mean, we had a few people that were, were comped. And in most events, you know, you have people who are, are you, you get their get them in as special guests and stuff like that. And we did that a little bit for our first event. Our second event, we didn't do that at all. So that helped as well. I mean, that helped get some big names in the room, which uh, increased the profile of the event. I mean, my, my goal was simple with the first event was to break even and make both the speakers and the attendees evangelists. And if I could make them evangelists of the event and capture that on camera, then I knew I'd have enough social proof that I'd never have to sell the event ever again. So I had a different kind of model uh, with the first event than I did with the second event. But the influencer blast from a marketing perspective, that definitely moved the needle the most for us and was the least amount of effort. Uh, Facebook ads probably took us you know, more effort, but you know, we had a hard time getting the, the audience we really wanted. So we've learned uh, so far about what's effectively your personal approach to marketing. You're very person to person with how you end up communicating with people, which is incredible. One other thing that you had mentioned earlier on was you discussed this video by Suli Brake. Now, is he, was this, for promoting the second event or the first one? So this is all the first event. Got it. And so can you briefly go over what that video was and uh, how that fit into your entire first event? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, that definitely, the response to that little campaign, I guess, uh, exceeded my expectations. I didn't know what to expect initially, but what happened was uh, Sully Brakes came out with a video called I Hate School, But Love Education. And it was on YouTube. And I was, I, I saw it when it had like 20,000 views. It was really, really small when he launched it, but I, I saw it like the day after he posted it. And, and his spoken word, he's a spoken word artist, artist, and his video really resonated with me. And I thought it really would really resonate with our audience. And since then, I've, I've kind of found out I have a keen eye for kind of spotting talent to a degree. And I just thought he'd blow up to be something big one day. So I said, I reached out to him. I said, you know, would you be A, interested in speaking on Mastermind Talks, you know, and competing in our speaker competition against guys like Tim Ferriss and stuff like that? I thought it would be a, a speaker who would be like really left field that would kind of blow people away. And also, I'm like, would you be open to doing a quick video for us? Just a quick 90 second video just an original piece for us that we'll post on our Facebook page and post on YouTube. And he was, yeah, he was totally open to it. Nobody was knocking on his door at the time. He was very, you know, he, he, his video was just starting to go viral. So there wasn't a lot of noise around him at the time. So it was, he was really accessible, really open to, to working together. And it, it didn't cost us anything to do. And he was based in the UK. So I had a friend of mine who was in the UK as well. I had a friend of mine record him and he just went and like to a park and they recorded a video there. The audio isn't the greatest, but we put it on YouTube. It got 
it has currently we just looked at it before the interview it has 230,000 views on YouTube uh, on Facebook it got shared 4,000 times on Facebook has a couple thousand likes but got seen by 1.1 million people in the first I think it was the first like few days definitely by the first week it got seen by 1.1 million people so that was something that cost us nothing got a ton of views for us and although you know it, it's one of those things that got a ton of views it wasn't necessarily our target audience that we were seeking that's why we kind of changed our marketing methods to a degree but depending on what your business is and what your goals are it could definitely you know work in your favor and that caught that took us no time whatsoever cost us no money um, and there's a lot of talent like this on youtube so uh, that's definitely something you know people can can leverage one thing I'm curious about there is you said it effectively generated unqualified leads, but were those collected somewhere? Did those all get driven to your website? And then did you end up with those people's emails? Well, we, I mean, we, yeah, well, people, yeah, I, I guess from that, we saw that people were, were applying for the event and they just were not, they were, you know, students and stuff like that. So they weren't necessarily our target audience. I mean, the views and stuff like that were nice from an ego perspective, I guess, you know, to, to launch something out there that costs nothing and get 1.1 million views was, was definitely, you know, it was nice. Having that said, though, having that presence online, now that we're seeking like sponsors, for our event, that's what they look for. They look for like what, you know, how many views can you get us and that kind of stuff. And although that doesn't matter to me as much because it's not moving the needle in regards to ticket sales, we definitely definitely can leverage it in other ways. But as far as like at the time, what we were looking for was qualified signups. We, we didn't get qualified signups, but it definitely got us quite a bit of awareness and something we can leverage now when, when seeking sponsors. Got it. So you're going to still reuse those emails that you collected, even if they're not going to end up attending the event. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, they're definitely interested in what we do because Sully now, I mean, he came and spoke at our last event. He opened our last event two weeks ago. He's kind of part of the brand now. So, you know, his audience is, is our audience and we definitely, we won't turn anybody away per se. We're very, very targeted when it comes to our marketing though. So like I said, our last event, we didn't even open it up to the general public. So, you know, we wouldn't necessarily like sell, uh, email everybody that there's an opportunity to buy tickets because they're not qualified. We, we have much more of a sniper approach, but we may send them something else like, you know, the opportunity to buy the footage from the event or, or whatever the case may be. Okay. So is that the entirety of, you know, sort of your marketing efforts? What it sounds like now is that that first event has effectively become sort of a marketing message within itself. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, for someone who's listening to this that's saying, hey, I want to host my own event, what it really sounds like is you got to get that first event to be really curated well and turn that into the message that then is spread. And now you can start generating on the second event, on the third event, and so on. You can actually turn it into a profitable platform. Exactly. That, that was uh, my kind of gut intuition originally. And even with sponsors, like sponsors out of the gate, they're not going to support a first time event. And, you know, if they are, they want a lot from the event and they're not going to give you a lot for it. So what we did in regards to sponsorships, because we just saw the benefit in being aligned with certain brands. I, I sat back and I identified what are some brands that I use on a regular basis that I thoroughly enjoy. And I reached out to them and say, listen, we don't want anything financial from you. We have a great group of people in the audience. Would you be willing to offer an extended free trial for something? And not knowing it at the time, we basically created like a list of $4,000 worth of free product and free trials. So MailChimp gave us like six months free and virtual gave us two months free for our attendees and that kind of stuff. One thing we didn't realize at the time is when we started using those logos on our website, it built credibility. 
for a first time event because they're like, well, if Zirtual is aligning themselves with this or Uber is aligning themselves with this event, there's probably, you know, there's probably a good event because the people actually thought we were a scam out of the gate because we had Tim Ferriss and all these big name speakers. They're like, this event can't be real. So that was something we were fighting initially. So leveraging the credibility of these brands, even though financially we didn't get anything for it at the time, worked out great. And towards the end of uh, the lead up to the, the first event, we actually had some big brands come to us and say, well, I see all these other brands associated with your your event. How can we get on board financially? Not knowing that the other brands that were associated were actually not on board financially. So that's kind of a, another thing we did. That's incredible. And I'm going to steal that directly from you. <laughs> okay. It, it works well. You know, I think we've actually covered the vast majority of a lot of the marketing efforts that you mentioned before. Is there anything else that you think we should hit on? Not, not, not from the first event. No, that's pretty much, I think you, you, you took it all from me. I can't think of anything else that we did. <laughs> I'm going to milk it all from you, Jason. <laughs> Whether it's the first event or the second event, you know, is there one sort of overarching, I think I've already taken away my overarching view of what you've described, which is being really personal with your marketing efforts. And it's not even marketing from that standpoint. It's really just building relationships. Is there any other, including the second event, what has really, is there anything else that's moved the needle for you? Yeah, well, I mean, our, our approach changed for the second event. And I think you hit the nail on the head when, when you said, you know, the, the first event became the marketing piece, right? Uh, we looked almost like at the, the first event as this is going to be our future marketing. And to give you an idea of how that paid off, our second event, instead of opening it up to applications, because the first event, we had 4,200 people apply. And although that's great, I had to literally go through every single application one by one, which is not scalable because from that point between the two events, we had another 1800 people apply and, you know, it's just, it was simply not scalable. So instead what I did was over the course of a year of, of the year between both events, I sat back and I tried to assess like who would be a great fit for an event like this, who would get massive value and who would be able to contribute as well. And I created a list of like 80 to 90 entrepreneurs who I thought would be a great fit. I reached out to them all individually using that uh, SoundCloud service. So I wrote them an email and I also did a, a personal voice recording to them saying, Hey, you know, it's Jason, we met X, you know, X, Y, and Z, or, or, you know, already good friends, whatever the case may be, you know, our new event, our next events coming up, I thought you'd be a great fit. Here's the reasons why. And 78% of those people signed up for, you know, the event that's $5,000. And that basically filled up the majority of our event. And then from that point forward, we had probably about 30, 40 spots left. I simply reached out to those same people. And I said, you know, I'm a firm believer that amazing people know other amazing people. If you know anybody who'd be a great fit for the event, please let me know. So I had warm intros to other great entrepreneurs. So I expanded my network. Plus I got, uh, you know, to people who would be a great fit. And that's how we sold out the event. So we didn't spend a dollar on marketing. I, I, I had very much more of a sniper approach than the last year's event. And this next event, so our, our last event just happened two weeks weeks ago, our event taking place in April, April 29th and April 30th is already half sold out. So we only have 60 spots left and I have 10 months to sell them. So it sounds like what you just did there is very similar, a slight twist on the influencer blast that you initially did where you're sending personalized messages. In this case, you did a personalized message to people that you wanted to have as attendees, correct? Yep. And then you got a response from them. And these were people that you uh, admired that you looked up to. So you reached out to them and you got them to actually pay to attend the event. And now when those people referred their friends, those people were obviously uh, willing to listen because these are people that we all look up to. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, all I can say out of that is congrats on your success. <laughs> I appreciate it. And it sounds like it's well-deserved because you've worked your butt off in order to make this happen. Yeah.
No, I, 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 one thing that became clear with the marketing of, of our last event with, you know, 78% of people signing up just from me reaching out to them is that, you know, integrity sells and authenticity sells. And if you reach out to people uh, that you generally care about, like if you know who your target clients are, what, you know, what their fears are, where they are in business, where they want to go, and you thoroughly believe that what you offer is going to help them get there quicker, it's, it's surprisingly easy to sell to people even at a $5,000 price point. And the price point isn't even a big deal. Like it's $5,000, but you gotta think my target audience are people who value time more than money. So for them to take four or five days away from their business to be at an event is a much bigger hurdle than dropping $5,000. So, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's different things, like everybody's gonna be listening, have uh, you know, different businesses and different models and that kind of stuff. But I think there's there's very like few sub substitutions for like reaching out to people individually. And now that I do stuff, you know, there's a whole thousand true fan theory you know if you want to launch a book or you want to launch a podcast or whatever you need like your thousand true fans and if you have your thousand through true fans you're you're set to go my goal is right now is i'm building out my thousand true fans and i want to have like a personal interaction with every single person and uh yeah that's kind of my model is is it, you know instead of scaling you know having more people and that kind of stuff i just really want a, a tight-knit audience and it's been pay, paying off dividends thus far that is incredible so I want to hit on one last thing I have a question about because you've discussed how you've built up all this buzz and, and you've made these personalized efforts to get people to this event. They're paying $5,000. They're taking off four days of their time. That's a lot of pressure for that individual event for you to deliver on your end. I, I guess what's going through my mind is what is it that you provide or how do you feel comfortable knowing that what you're going to deliver is worth that time and money? Well, I mean, that's you know, the first event we did. Truth be told, I mean, our goal obviously is to have an event go off, you know, without a hitch. Everything go fantastic. Well, the first event did go off that way. It was it was great, but everybody had heightened expectations coming into the second event, right? Because then we just raised the bar, and now we're always trying to kind of over deliver year over year. So that was the fear. But you know, the truth is, how we plan to scale our event is after the first event, people are like, "You should have." We had 125 people, 130 people in the room, and they're like, "You should blow this up to have three, four, five hundred people." But what made the event unique was its intimacy. So instead of scaling it in size year over year, we want to scale it by raising the caliber of people in attendance. And actually, that's kind of our safety net. I, as long as I have the right people in the room, I could have like I don't want to, but I could have terrible speakers on stage. I could have malfunctions and AV, all that kind of stuff. The value of the event is the people in the room. And to me, that's the ultimate safety net. So when we have great people and I'm confident as far as the quality of people in the room, it doesn't matter that much, you know, what goes on on stage. And we actually had a few AV glitches at this event, which was a first because the first event we had no AV glitches whatsoever, but this event we did and people didn't even notice it because they were too busy, like connecting with the person next to them and that kind of stuff. So that's our kind of secret sauce. That's our, our safety net to a degree as far as kind of over delivering is raising the caliber of people in attendance year over year. So yeah, I mean, you've shared with us pretty much everything. You've opened the kimono and I greatly appreciate it, Jason. I, th I thank you for taking your time today. No, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week.
sunshine on 